recruiting is going to come down to this simple statement. Somebody is going to sell you on something. Somebody is going to put you in position to empower yourself. Do I really look like a guy with a plan? Welcome back or welcome to the Up Close and Personnel podcast show. This is your show host, Alex Brown, Director of Recruiting at Rice University. First off, I really, really appreciate all the positive feedback on the show's announcement. I just want to thank you all as listeners for tuning in. If you're a returning listener or if you're a first-time listener, remember to hit the subscribe button and rate the show on whatever podcast platform you're using. So you're going to be able to find our show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and Stitcher. Links to the pod are also going to be up on the official website of the show, upcloseinpersonnel.com, and on my Twitter, at AlexM underscore Brown. So last episode, we talked about the why behind the show, my own personal journey in football, and the big plans moving forward. But now's the time where we get a chance to really turn it up and get into the nitty gritty of recruiting. So this week's guest is arguably one of the most well-known directors of recruiting in the country. He's known for his signature usage of the shush emoji, and he's someone I can genuinely call one of my closest friends. So joining us this week is going to be Brian Carrington. He's the director of recruiting over at the University of Texas. Brian's a UH grad, born and raised in the H. We worked side by side together in 2015 and 2016 as part of the H-Town Takeover. As a recruiting assistant on staff, he helped engineer the number one group of five recruiting class of all time that included Ed Oliver and Derek King. And from Houston, Brian followed Coach Herman over to UT in Austin, where he's really set an unreal pace of consistency on the recruiting trail. So in the first class that they had as a staff, Brian, as assistant director, helped them finish number two in the Big 12 and number 25 in the country. And after that transition year and being elevated to director, UT kicked it into overdrive with three consecutive top recruiting classes in the Big 12, back-to-back years in 2018 and 2019 as number three in the country and top 10 this past year in 2020. All in all, we're talking five five-star athletes signed over five years, which is a pretty solid trend. And in this episode, we really talk about what it means and what it looks like to be a good recruiter for those that are trying to make that journey in college football. We talk about building relationships with college recruiters and what to look for as a recruit. Brian's really powerful story as far as where he's from and his journey to the University of Texas and so much more. So grab a notebook, grab a pen so you can take notes as we kick off the first season of Up Close and Personnel featuring UT's Director of Recruiting, Brian Carrington. Just hit a button, Morty. Give me a beat. Oh, man. Okay. All right. Um. BC, thanks for joining the show. How you doing? I'm doing good, man. Thanks for having me. Nah, it's it's pleasure. Uh, it's honor. I think uh, it was easy to, to realize that I wanted to get you on the show first. But before we kind of dive into really what I want to get the listeners a, a peek inside of the journey you went through and things that you had to overcome to get into the position you are now and the advice you have to bring to the table for recruits and parents and coaches alike. I want to just ask you five quick questions right off the bat. So first, what makes somebody a good recruiter? I think it's, it's really important for recruits to understand what it looks like to be a good recruiter so that they don't get caught up in necessarily just the hype or the personalized graphics. What makes a good recruiter in your mind? Uh, I feel like it's a lot of things that make you a great recruiter. Um, just the word recruit, you know, the etymology of that word is to strengthen, 
or reinforce, you know, to evaluate is, you know, kind of appraising something, you know, putting a value on something or finding the value of something. And so I really look at recruiting as like an initiative based um, deal. It, it fuels my initiative to help the program uh, to find uh, talent that will get us one day, hopefully to hoisting a trophy. So to be a recruiter, I would say you got to be somebody uh, that knows your program, knows your culture, knows your scheme, you know, knows the benefits of your university, et cetera. And, you know, knowing what talent is, you know, knowing talent that you can acquire, uh, what your team needs, you know, uh, also someone having, you know, good foresight, you know, like, this kid is somebody that we will eventually have to recruit. I always reference to something Derek Chang always says is kind of be the assist man. You know, our, our job and our roles um, in the world of college football is to be the assist, to throw it off the backboard to your coaches, throw it off the backboard to your head coach. And to be, uh, to, to be in that position, you have to be a jack of all trades in a sense if that makes sense. So I would say to be a good recruiter, you got to be somebody that knows your program, knows your culture, knows your scheme, knows the benefits of your university, and knows what you're looking for. I honestly think that's so key. The thing that you touched on is like, you got to have these answers and be a jack of all trades because, and I think what we should specify to like our listeners is that we're talking about people in personnel and recruiting and, and scouting roles at the college football level because you're going to be in situations in front of parents, in front of high school coaches, and you're going to be asked any type of question. I think that's so key as far as you got to know your program, got to know your culture and, and what you're looking for so that you can like really articulate it. And it's not even your job to close, right? Like, I think that's such a good analogy. And I, I learned that one from Derek Chang as well. I think that's a great one as far as being the assist man. So obviously Derek's an influence on both of us, but who, who would you say is the best recruiter you've seen or been around what made them such a good recruiter in your mind? See, this is a, this is a tough question for me uh, because I, you know, in my own aspects, I try to see what attributes others possess and what makes them successful, not necessarily what makes this person the best recruiter, uh, but just some guys that I've been around. Tim Beck uh, is a guy that I feel was a, a good recruiter because he had, attributes of, of being pers persistent, being persuasive, you know, having a lot of initiative. Those are qualities that made Tim Beck a very successful recruiter. You know, I look at guys like Stan Drady, who's really impressionable, who um, comes off as a father figure, like an OG, somebody that you feel like you want to be a student underneath. That was his quality, kind of like a Mr. Miyagi persona about himself. So I would say Guys like, you know, Dallas Blacklock, who wasn't in a position coach role, but still was a very effective recruiter because at the end of the day, it's about people. It's about connecting with people. It's about having relationships because I feel like football is a relationship business. There's so much that goes on within the program. Once the kids go from being a recruit to now being a student athlete, the relationship continues. So I feel like it's all about the relationship aspects and everybody's different. So I would say, you know, in, in my time being in college football, guys like Tim Bay, guys like Stan Drayton, guys like 
Oscar Giles have shown me that they have attributes that have led them to be very successful as recruiters. And it's another thing that keeps you in the business, you know, like you get guys in the building, like it's going to keep you a job. So I, I completely agree on, on Dallas too. Dallas was the guy who got me in the door over at Houston. Okay. So you mentioned what attributes, like that's, that's a, a big key as far as your development, pulling different things from different coaches. You said, you know, how Tim's really persuasive and persistent and Stan's really connected and the relationship side with Dallas what is your process for like compiling all that and like putting that into action for you? What does that look like for you? Yeah. What does that look like to me? Uh, it's a lot of things because I feel like it's uh, when it comes to recruiting, even if I could pinpoint one kid's recruiting process, it's like a blank canvas. And regardless if you have some, some poor strokes initially early on, you can turn that into a masterpiece. So when I look at other people and I see that, that they have attributes, you know, I peep game. And I feel that peeping game is a skill that a lot of people don't focus on acquiring. If you can watch and observe someone do a particular skill and you can observe that and then you can make and, and uh, apply that, I consider that a skill. So when I watch recruiting and I watch how other schools recruit, I watch uh, interactions between other coaches and recruits because when I I have such a good relationship with some recruits they might send me information of other coaches and their correspondence their language their um, combo with that PSA and so I will in turn look at that and I would keep game whether it was a, a good thing that that coach did or whether it was a bad thing that that coach did. If it was good, then I would find ways that I could apply it. If it was bad, then I would, you know, pinpoint that as something I should refrain from in the future. So I would say it's a it's a it's a skill initially um, to peep game in my process. You know, I try to see if I can find trends, and those trends could involve, you know, me trying to connect with a kid. The trend could be where the game of college football is evolving. And how could I pinpoint a kid that might be a few classes down the road, but might want to be, might be exactly what we're looking for, you know, uh, come two years from now, type deal, if that, if, if that makes sense. And I feel like, you know, uh, watching attributes and other people that I've been around since my days at Houston, since my days at Texas, sometimes I just want to be a fly on the wall so I can observe the game from others. So I feel like i possess attributes that have led me to be a very successful uh, recruiter and I had those attributes but I feel like iron sharpens iron and because I was placed at Houston because I was placed at Texas and I got to be around others that have been doing this for 20 years been doing this on a successful level in other blue blood programs I'm definitely going to try to apply the game as as I see them um, act if that makes sense that makes all the sense in the world. Last question. You got books, music, TV, right? You got people that read, people that listen to music, people that watch TV. Which one of those three are you doing right now? What are you listening to, reading, or, or watching? Hmm. I'm reading, I'm listening to, I'm watching. So I'm listening to this new uh, Money Man. It's a, it's a new album that came out by Money Man. It's a up-and-coming rapper. Um, like oh, hold on. Like uh, literally, one of my signees was like, 
put me on that guy. Like literally like a week ago. Play Wyatt. Like literally a week ago. Yeah, he's money man got some got some go. Uh books and movies. Uh, I mean, obviously during the quarantine, man, I'm I feel like I've watched everything on Netflix, man. So I'm trying to like, you know, go back and watch classic films. You know, it's like an old pastime. We watched The Sandlot again. You know, I probably haven't watched it since I was 12. You know, so if I watch it again, I'm a grown man. I'm watching, I'm seeing different things in the movie that I didn't see when I when I was 12. But I would say uh, as far as the, the reading is concerned, I'm not doing too much uh, reading. But when I do read, I love, you know, reading uh, like historical books, history books, whether it be... Uh, MLK, Martin Luther King, stuff that was very popular or big activist in my parents' time or in my grandmother's time. My my grandmother was a politician, so I always like hearing people talk about those type of political affairs, if that makes sense. No, it does. And I think I got to tell the readers uh, and listeners about the time we went to the library and you went through all of DJ Screw's old tapes and everything in the library that they had from like, you know, nineties, like old school rap stuff. Like you've always dug up that stuff. You've always been interested in the past. But yeah, I remember we went, we, uh, we were going to show PSAs that were at Houston. That actually was something cool that I was, that I was show. <clears throat> no doubt. No doubt. So obviously I'm leaving out the better half, the, the more popular of the two in the family. Uh, your fiance, uh, Shanice, I don't think everybody knows this, but she definitely has uh, almost 22 times as many followers as you do. So yeah. even though you think you're big time, uh, is she helping you figure out how to like work from home and all that kind of stuff? Uh, not really. Uh, I feel like oftentimes being Jason Kidd or being the assist man, as, I, as you know, Chang would like to put it, um, we are building relationships with recruits and they can't come on campus you know unlike a position coach you know me and you we can't walk down the hallways you know we can't go talk to the lunch lady we can't go talk to the principal we can't go to the teacher we can't you know go to this practice like a position coach so most of our conversations and most of the building of the relationship is remote is a long distance type deal so I feel that uh, it's, it's not much of an adjustment outside of actually being in a building and outside of actually doing unofficial visits. You know, if you've pinpointed the kids that you want, you know, and it's an everyday process for me. No, I agree. And I think the funny thing is I feel like we're able to be more productive because you don't have people pulling your, you know, in and out of your office. You're able to just lock into just talking to kids and developing those relationships and yeah, it is that way for, for personnel and recruiting for sure. Um, how are you managing your time though? Because like, I'm telling you like from FaceTime calls with recruits to like calls, you know, for staff meetings to, you know, putting stuff together presentation wise, like I feel like these days are just like running away from me right now. And I'm like trying to yeah. map out every minute. Like, how are you managing that? Yeah. I, I try to get it up in the morning and I try to dive in early uh just my body just wakes up early in the morning and i feel like i can accomplish so much before 12 o'clock especially if i wake up wake up at, and i'm ready to go at eight it's four hours of getting some work in you know you know how much you can do in four hours you know you can preach you can talk i mean preach you can face time and 
uh, I mean, you know, dad, you can get on the phone in four hours. You can probably hit, you know, 10 to 14 PSAs and have some quality interactions with those guys. Well, um, the, then, the other thing, the other thing too on that is the fact that like you're dealing with different time zones, right? Like I got some guys I'm talking to in Florida. Like if I get up at six or seven, I'm hitting them at the start of the morning. By the end of the like 12, 11 o'clock, the kids in California that we're recruiting are just now waking up. So like the timing winds up being perfect. Yeah, it is. But I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of a lot of family time. I would say too, a lot of time with my fiance, I'm pretty sure. A lot of the PSAs are at home with their family. You get to be at home with your wife and coaches at home with their wife. I, I even hear some schools doing the um, the, the FaceTime dinners. You know, when the PSA and their families are having dinner, you know, here come, you know, our head coach or a head coach uh, getting on FaceTime with his family. So, I mean, it's a lot of interesting things that I see other schools uh, doing to make up for uh, the quarantine. Yeah, and you know, Coach Blumgren said it a couple of times while we've been on the phone with recruits. It's like, you know how many, how rare it is for some of these families of of coaches and people in football to have three square meals a day with every member of their family. You know, like there's a lot of negative things that could happen with this entire outbreak. And our thoughts and prayers are with one the people that are dealing with it, but obviously you know the medical workers, but people are really getting to dive deep into families. And like for me and my wife, we're able to like go outside, get, you know, exercise in, walk together, have lunch and dinner together. She didn't have breakfast with me because I'm up at like six. But um, I think that's real, man. Like we have to look at the positive of this, especially, you know, recruits too. like spend that quality time with your family and uh, make the most of it. What do you think this, this does to the timeline? Because I think it was like a crazy number, like in the 80% of signing classes were finalized in December. We only signed four guys in February. We had a majority of our class done through December. Do you think this leads to more signees in in February? But not just that, like, how do you think this affects recruits timelines? Because it's really difficult. Like if you think about it, one, they're losing spring practice visits, which I think are critical. Like you can't wait until your senior season to go see places. People fill up too fast. Scholarships definitely have an expiration date. If you're not ready to jump in the boat, we've got to continue to keep searching, keep looking. But one, that's like your first opportunity to get the view of a culture and get to meet players and get to meet coaches. But the other aspects are like kids aren't going to get evaluated in the spring and in the summer potentially like they would have in the past. So what do you think that does to the timeline this year? Yeah, I actually think it was in the high 80s or if not low 90s as far as the kids that signed this past December. Uh, so I think, one, I think it should be moved back to February uh, when I think about it uh, because a lot of the efforts of a lot of major Power 5 programs or, or programs like Rice that recruit nationally is that the out-of-state kids have no way to get to your campus in the spring and possibly the summer, uh, depending on how this uh, quarantine shakes out. But um, I think um, it's hard uh, because a lot of schools should prioritize the in-state recruits, and you've got to really dig deep and build these relationships with out-of-state kids to keep that momentum because right now kids are around their families. So what are they they thinking? I might as well 
stay home. You know, uh, this is something that are bringing families back close. And this may be something that, that make kids say, you know what, you know, uh, family is more important, you know, than me going to play college football. So proximity might win uh, more than usual this cycle, if that makes sense to you. That makes a ton of sense. I mean, just as far as like the amount of time and like the bond that that'll wind up adding. So that's interesting. I want to switch gears, talk about you a little bit. Obviously just introed you, but I think it, it's awesome to hear your story, you know, growing up in Acres Homes, being an overachiever early, like just talk about kind of your your background and where you're from. Yeah, I'm from the northwest side of Houston. Um, from a single parent home. I always had a passion for sports as a kid. I was always interested in stats, uh, involved with sports. I, I wanted to know what made, you know, Steve Francis, you know, an NBA All-Star. What made Yao Ming an NBA All-Star? Uh, what made uh, Derek Carr the number one overall pick for Houston, Texas? You know, I was enamored and um, with that type of uh, information. I love to watch the NFL draft process. I love to watch the combine. I love to watch um, what made people great, what attributes that they possessed that made them elite. Um, I used to read the newspaper and see, oh, you know, this kid is really good running back, so he gets to go to the University of Miami. You know, this kid gets to go to Texas. This kid gets to go to Alabama. This kid gets to go to, um, you know, USC. And so I understood that sports was a way to change your situation. Uh, you know, growing up in Acres Home, I see a lot of kids that fell victim to just circumstance of being in Acres Home, being impoverished, not having the resources. And only a few of us can sit back and think and say, you know what, if I put a few eggs in this basket, a few eggs in that basket, I can change my situation. And so I was always finding out in the paper, you know, who who was who? Who are the guys that can change their situation by what they can do, you know, on a on a football field, you know, on a basketball court. So um that was one of my initial goals as a kid to go D one. When I went to high school I had an injury that ended my career, but I still had that zeal and that thirst for football. I heavily followed the recruiting aspect of that like rivals.com scout.com was a big uh recruiting website back then when i was coming up and i was you know which kids in our area have a profile and i would find out who all those guys were from five star if they were a two star i'm knowing exactly who those kids are and that came from you know 2005 2006 2007 2008 even when i went to college i was still following recruiting because initially when I went to college, I wanted to go into broadcast journalism because I wanted to be a color commentator. I wanted to be, you know, Gus Jensen and, you know, call football games. You know, um, after being a knucklehead the first time around at U of H, um, upon my second time getting back into the university and I had my head on straight, uh, I was sitting cl in class and my teacher, Dr. Walsh, was like, you know, you guys, you know, uh, think you're going to get a degree and get a job. Well, that's not going to work. And here I was in class, like, you know, I'm back in college, man. I can't mess this thing up again. I'm going to get my degree. Forget that. 
you know, and I'm sitting here and I'm back, I'm zealous, I'm in class. And that's one of the first things that I hear from that teacher because I'm in my field to study now. I'm in the kinesiology school. So all of my classes are going to be kinesiology. So I'm taking those serious. So I'm like, man, this dude told me I'm going to get a degree and I don't have no job. Who's going to pay me student loans? You know, so he was like, you need to get experience. Like, you need to find a way to get into a uh, experience in the field that you want to be in. So I'm like, man, what field am I going to be in? Ironically, at the same time, Coach Herman had just won a national championship at Ohio State and was offered the job at Houston. And so that was already in place. When I was sitting in class, he was already the, uh, the coach at Houston. It probably was a few classes into the semester. And I was like, you know what? I volunteered for the recruiting department. Hell, I worked for the video department if I could get on the video squad. So I sent an email just to U of H video department. And in this email, I was explaining, you know, everything that I that I felt like I could do. Uh, like, hey, man, I've been following recruiting since I was, you know, a little kid. Um, I feel like I'm a recruiting guru. I know you believe, you remember that, Alex. This, this is this is the best moment of your whole story because no, it's not. it no, it is the best because like <laughs> and I think you skipped over some stuff too that we'll come back to. I'll let you finish, but um, yeah. here's my Kanye moment. You spoke that into existence, and I think there's power to that. Like nobody's gonna believe in you as much as you do, and having that vision exactly. for success early visualizing it i think that was really key for you getting your chance right because nobody has that type of confidence unless they really believe it i want to take a step back and rewind real quick after you you know were a knucklehead at uh you bounced around and, and really like worked your your tail off to make sure you could get back into school talk about like how you balance the grind of making a living and surviving you know being a bartender and really like you developed like as far as being able to like you were already good interacting with people and super sociable but like you really refined a skill you already had and you probably didn't even realize it as far as you know talking to people and connecting with people and i think that's important for people of listeners to the show to hear like when you're you know a young college student athlete when hell when you're in high school i think it's important to like experience and taste as much as possible to figure out what your goal and what your passion is because it took you some time to find that but by putting yourself out there like i think that you really like developed yourself for the success you were going to have so like what did you do when you had that roadblock of you know not making it yeah so my roadblock yeah it was a humbling experience um i would say you know getting kicked out of school from going to a private school and doing pretty good uh, from a private school. You think you're going to go to college and have an advantage on everybody. But uh, just me getting caught up in all of the social life and being on my own, if, you know, for the first time in my life, you know, I had no structure in place. And so me um, getting suspended from U of H and having my financial aid put on suspension, what that did for me is, I had to be more responsible than I was because at, at this point, I couldn't think about school for a second. I had to think about keeping a roof over my head. I had to think about paying my car note. I had to think about paying my car insurance. I had to think about paying my rent. I had to get a job to sustain myself. 
So then I was bartending and waiting tables at, at Papa's. I waited tables at Olive Garden. I waited tables at a lot of restaurants and even bartending at the nightclub. Um, but that was just giving me, uh, that was just kind of me and my element because I was always a people person. So if I'm sitting at the bar and you come into my bar, I got eight people at the bar. I'm having, you know, maybe four or five different conversations at the bar. I got regulars at the bar. I'm, you know, I'm making drinks. I'm doing a lot of things similar to what we do in recruiting. You got to be a jack of all trades to be a bartender. You got to make the drinks. You got to, you know, put people's food in. You got to make the drinks for everybody else in the restaurant. You know, it's a, it's a lot going on. So I would say that that taught me discipline. That taught me how to um, be more responsible. That was my first taste, I would say, of, of manhood, I would say. I felt like I was making strides as a man, you know, totally sustaining myself, if that makes sense. I think that that prepared you to be successful when, you know, you felt that opportunity come in the recruiting department. And the same thing that I tell, tell kids is the goal is not to make the NFL. The goal is to be a self-sufficient man. And so when I was in college, that was always my viewpoint. Am I going to be a self-sufficient man? Am I going to be able to take care of myself? When I got kicked out of the university, I had to take care of myself. I had to make sure that I was paying my rent. I was paying my car loan. I was getting cable you know, getting internet, you know, having all the necessities I need because while I was bartending, I was at HCC trying to get my associate's degree so that I can achieve that and get back into U of H because I always knew I was going to go back. I always knew I was going to finish what I started. So just me with in, in the back of my mind, be self-sufficient, be self-sufficient. Like I tell the recruits, the goal is to be self-sufficient, get your degree, get your job, you're debt-free. And now you have the rest of your life to build upon that. I too had the same philosophy while I was in removed from U of H. And by the time I got back to U of H, Alex, I was much more disciplined. I was responsible. I knew to show up on time. I knew how to go to sleep at night. That way I get enough sleep to get up. And when I was working at U of H, I was still bartending. I go to class. I took 18 hours, bro, in one semester in that office volunteering 20 hours a week and then going and putting 40 to 50 hours a week bartending. And that was, that was something I did consistently for probably seven to, to nine months. I think it was so cool um, how you just taught like a while ago, you mentioned how iron sharpens iron. Like that was such a great point in time for like both of us. Like we were coming from different angles, right? Like I was trying to get into scouting and you knew all along you wanted to get in recruiting. And I really felt like we really found our niches and like learned from each other during that time. And like the grind of not making anything and like, Hey, this is my only shot. Like I have to provide value to this coaching staff in some way. Almost did, but you had to work at a wine bar. Like you, I mean, you really, yeah. but, fought, at the, but at the same that. time I, I quit the wine bar. Um, I quit the wine bar probably in May of the 2016 season. It was right so after. It was right after we signed Ed Oliver and and, and Derek, those guys. Yeah. Not not the 2016 season. Yep. Yep. You, you're sure right. So I from May till probably even longer than that, bro. From May till November when I got the Texas job, it's probably longer than that. I think. Probably that spring. I think it was probably after signing the 
until I got the Texas job, I was literally on my savings that I made bartending and just, you know, down to pennies. Like that was running out, you know, and at the same time, I'm taking 18 hours trying to graduate. Like that was a crazy time, but there was just a small light at the tunnel, you know, to, to even make that stuff. And the whole time, going back to something I mentioned in passing, we were both in long distance relationships. So how in the world, I know how I made it happen. I was driving obviously four hours every weekend up to Dallas to see my family and see Brittany. But how did you, I mean, how did you manage? I know, but just tell our listeners, like, how do you manage those relationships, especially for like in the world of athletes, right? Like you could be dating your high school sweetheart right now at, you know, Grace Prep in Arlington. I'm throwing that out because it's my alma mater, uh, Go Lions. But uh, maybe you get offered by Pitt and, you know, your girlfriend's going to stay at the local college. How do you make that work? Because you guys have obviously, you know, got engaged. Like talk talk me through, like, what are the little things that it took to, to make that happen? All right. Picture this. You got this five-star recruit. All right, he's defensive end. He's six five. He's two hundred sixty five pounds. He comes off the edge. He can bend. He's pretty, you know. How many times are you gonna talk to that kid a week? Oh, uh, every day. As every day. So just multiply that by like four or five. That's how much time you gotta communicate with your lady. You gotta treat her like she's Chase Young, you know. So it's it's a, it's similar type of of recruiting strategy that you have with your priority recruit, you got to kind of lay out the same plan you know, with your significant other. Otherwise, stuff can get lost, man, because, you know, it's so much going on and you're not really doing one thing every day. You're doing a different thing every other day that you could probably go four days without really having a, a, a talk with some substance with your significant other. So you gotta you gotta allocate some time to that. And I would say maybe because I'm in this industry, maybe a long distance relationship, it doesn't seem that bad to uh us because we work in recruiting departments and we spend so much time putting so much effort just to get the kid on campus one day. I felt like I had that same perspective with my fiance. You know, we go I'm a recruiter, 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 recruiter. Then we're going to have signing. We're going to have, you know, the commitment. And then we're going to have signing day. And then she's going to live here. And then we'll be good. But until then, it's the recruiting process. But, you know, national signing day is around the corner. No doubt. No doubt. How's the, uh, how's the whole COVID stuff affected signing day? Uh, not really, man. I'm not trying to even think about it, man. I'm trying to get past it. Hopefully in May or uh, after these 30 days, man, stuff will be ironed out be good to go. No doubt. I think a, a big thing that, that our listeners need to also focus on is like substance, right? Not just being surface level and just being like, hey, how's everything going? How's your day? Cool. Great. Good talking to you. Like really like ask how people are feeling. Like that the active listening is like lost in today's like society, I feel like, because of all the things that, you know, TikTok, Twitter, Instagram, like there's so many things that like take our attention, but um, whether it's recruiting, whether it's like relationships, whether it's your family, like you gotta be intentional about your conversations and like 
words are powerful and you can really speak truth and life into people if you take the time. And like, like Brian said, like you have to make it a priority or it's not going to happen. Like communication ultimately builds trust and you can't do anything without trust. So that gets us straight into kind of our topic of the week, which is building relationships with college recruiters. So just to break down some, some ground rules, obviously just a reminder for recruits, we can't initiate contact with you until September 1st of your junior year, but schools are able to send you questionnaires, camp invites, and I really want to emphasize this, receive your calls. I, I've had multiple guys that work juniors and seniors that did a phenomenal job of whenever they visited on campus and we realized they were a recruit we were going to want to build a relationship with. They took my number and I told them, I said, Hey, call me once a week on Wednesday or on Thursday. And these guys did a great job following up as a underclassman recruit. I think that's such a huge priority. If you really want to build that relationship early, go out of your way to say, Hey coach, before I leave, let me get your number. When can I call you? And even if the coach doesn't pick up, just know, hey, I'm going to call the next week and see if he picks up because that's the, the consistency you need as an underclassman. But juniors and seniors, juniors, you can't, we can't initiate contact until your junior starts. And seniors, everything's kind of available, you know, especially once you get contact period. But Brian, as far as like relationship building, where do you start? Like what, what's your process look like uh, building that relationship, starting ground zero? You find a kid that you really like his highlights and you reach out to him. What should a recruit expect from you? Recruit is going to expect from me to get to know your why. Obviously, you got the initial icebreaker type, you know, conversations where it's like a game of catch. You know, I throw the football to you, you throw the football to me. And to me, that's, hey, what's going on? How are you? Uh, you know, do you have any interest in our university? What are your interests? What are you looking for in a program? Do you have any ties to Texas, et cetera, et cetera? You know, once we get past that, I want to know the kids why. I want to, I, I know our culture. I know, you know, how things run at Texas. I know other people that have had success in our program. I know people that haven't had success in our program. So it's basically like a character evaluation of whether or not you're our kind of guy, as Coach Herman would say at OKG. You know, we want to find guys that are going to be successful in our program. And so, as a recruiter, as an evaluator, I'm evaluating other things outside of football. I'm evaluating his, his uh, personality. I'm evaluating how he's interacting with me. I'm evaluating the content that he's posting on his social media outlets. All of that matters for me to get a gauge of what this kid is uh, as a person, as a human being. Uh, obviously, the benchmark for us to have a conversation is the film. Because if I didn't think you were a hell of a player, you know, we wouldn't be having those type of conversations. I wouldn't be trying to get to know you because I don't want to waste anybody's time. So once you get that established, for the most part, I establish the benchmark that we covet your athletic ability. But at the same time, that isn't the end-all be-all with Texas. That isn't the end-all be-all with me. I want to know what's your why, and I want to know – everything that I can possibly gather about you to make an assessment of whether or not you'll be successful within this program. I think that's huge. And the other thing to think about too, is like know who you're talking to and make sure to get those connections with the coach as well. That's going to coach you too. And that's the thing that 
I know Brian does a good job of this just from working with him. And we both did this together at UH. Like we're going to connect you to the coach if we're at that stage. And I think that it's important to talk about kind of the levels of contact, right? Like there's, there's levels to everything in life. And like, if you're not an offered guy right now, it doesn't necessarily mean we don't like you, you know, at the end of the day, we still want to see more or evaluate more or get to know you as a person. So like in our situation, we had the fewest offers in the country last year and we like to continue that trend. Like we've got less than 40 right now. So I think you also have to understand who's recruiting you and what their process is. Do you want to just talk about for, from a connection standpoint and like getting a feel for personality, what are some things that you look for um, right off the bat when you get on the phone? Not necessarily when you're messaging the kid, but when you get on the phone, what are you, what are you looking for? What I'm looking for is to see if he's engaging, if he's inviting dialogue, or am I, or am I just another, you know, tally mark on his offer list? You know, because at the end of the day, I tell kids also, you know, don't be recruited. You know, you can't recruit me. I'm going to, at the end of the day, Brian Karens is going to make the best decision for me. You know, so I can't be recruited. I encourage kids to do the recruiting also. It's not going to be me calling you every day, writing your job. You know, we're going to have to talk about some stuff that's, that um, most likely is going to be a deal breaker or it's going to be icing on the cake at this university. Because if some kids just want to be validated and some schools will just validate you through the entire recruiting process. And then you show up and you don't realize that you never separated the real from the fake in the recruiting process. Because I view the recruiting process as fake and it's very misleading if kids don't filter it properly. Because when you show up to, to, um, to campus, it's real life. Like this is a business. This is a industry. And, you know, you only have five years to get this thing right. I think what everybody needs to make, make a note of is the fact that as, as we talk about what we look for as a recruiter, we're looking for this is background and what's important to him. Does that match up with the culture that we're setting in our program? Because we want to bring people in that are attacking it the same way or that have a desire to attack it the same way. Because if you bring in somebody that's not about that life, they're gonna get chewed up and spit out in our locker room. It's the same way at your place, the same way at any other college. But I think that's where flipping it to the recruit side, like you guys really need to focus on the interactions between players and between staff to see what the life is really like. Because we're gonna tell you all the positive things about about rice it's the best of both worlds and like you're going to get a world-class degree and get to play big time ball and texas i mean you talk about national powerhouse right but at the end of the day are the things that are important to you important to the school that you're going to and is it the type of environment that one you'll be able to that will help you be your best self and that you'll be able to contribute to because i think that's so critical i mean you're committing to a four to five year decision that is going to shape the man who you are. Is that the type of man you want to be? One, and you can look at that positive and negative ways at schools across the country. But I think that's so critical in, in recruits processes. And the people, the people matter. I would say uh, also because at the end of the day, you know, the logo is going to help you. You know, it might come with some cloud, a little notoriety, 
the power of your degree will help you. But at the end of the day, what's going to make your experience is the people behind that logo, the people that you interact with in that building on a day-to-day basis. You know, that's that family, that's that culture that you're going to surround yourself with. A lot of times people transfer probably around, this probably involves the people that they've surrounded themselves with. Yeah, I think that's real too. Last question, contact. How frequently should recruits follow up? Because I think there is, there's a tough line that recruits, you know, have to have to play, right? Like, am I going to be really zealous and like energetic and try to like get my name out there? Or do I want to like see what happens and see who reaches out to me? Because I think it's a little bit of balancing both acts um, because you don't want to be that recruit that just tries to live in everybody's DMs and tries to be recruited constantly. But you also need to understand how to brand yourself and how to put yourself out there a little bit. So what advice do you have for recruits as far as that side of things? Yeah, I would say just like, you know, don't be thirsty. You know, um, that kind of turns people off. Obviously, that would be the first thing that I say. Uh, second, uh, be realistic with yourself. Know what, what your caliber is. And, then, and it may be hard to gauge what caliber you are as far as FBS, FCS, you know, uh, power five, group of five. Know, um, know what your caliber is or ask others the, their opinion or a few people their opinion. If you feel comfortable asking uh, what your caliber is, and I would say go around inquire the schools that your peers or your head coach says or or guides you to, if that makes sense. Um, Also, if you are one of those guys that might be a a FCS kid, but you want to go to Texas, you want to go to uh, Texas and you want to go to these big schools, then, you know, pay 45 bucks and go camp at that school. You know, you can get right in front of the linebacker coach if you're a linebacker. You can get right in front of the receiver coach and work with that receiver at that university. I feel like camps are great for uh, exposure type deal. You know, otherwise, if you go to that camp um, that you desire and your interests, you know, your interests are from FCS programs and you go to the Texas camp and you don't achieve or get the notoriety that you think, then obviously maybe – the schools reaching out to you might be your caliber, might be your lot, if that makes sense. I think the other thing to say about camps, we had multiple guys that we didn't know anything about that wound up becoming offers for us at camp based on how they competed, how they performed, and wound up being really star commits for us. Sean Fresh being one of them, one of the higher rated guys on our team, ran a 4-3 three different times and then came back and camped again so that he could get another opportunity because we didn't offer him after the first camp. So like, I think the biggest advice that I would say to recruits on that, check your ego at the door. I know that some schools will throw out a bunch of offers early. Like maybe they've already offered 20 running backs and you show up at camp and, you know, you think that, you know, you're not even on their radar. Well, okay. Well, as Steve Martin, one of the most famous comedians of all time said, be so good. They can't ignore you. Be so good. They can't ignore you show out like at the end of the day they're holding this camp to see if there's anybody else out there that they need to evaluate and bring into their program and i think that's something that's that's really started to to come along is late bloomers and and i think more power fives are doing a better job of evaluating senior film Um, it's really really important to us at rice 
we don't offer that many people yeah. because we do want to see how guys develop. We don't want to rush to judgment. Um, and our offers do mean yeah. something. So I think that yeah. once you check your ego at the door and just compete and just say, you know what, I'm going to put all of my chips on the table. This is where I want to be. I know that there's a process that goes on and I'm not going to hold this against the coach. I'm not going to hold this against the recruiter. They're just doing their job because at the end of the day, you have to understand that there are so many recruits out there. There are so many players. Everybody is going to have their opportunity as long as you put yourself out there and compete. What were you going to say? Yeah, and what I was going to say is, you know, it's different with this early signing period as far as those guys that are sleepers, you know, are actually more of a benefit with this early, with this early signing period now. Because if I'm a Texas historically in the past time, you know, after the season's over, you know, and I got my 16 commits, I could go look at the, you know, Baylor commits, U of H commits, Rice commits, uh, and basically Pac-Man those kids. And basically say, you know, hey, I'm going to, you know, uh, offer this kid that's been committed to Houston for six months, giving me the opportunity to go to Texas. Nowadays, with this early signing period, it eliminates that. So your blue blood programs even have to, stay true to their evaluations because they might not get the blue chip in the late signing period. They might have to get a guy that they should develop. Oh, I think that's, I think that's a huge point. Now we're going to transition into the question and answer segment where we've taken the questions from recruits, parents, and college coaches. I've kind of took the best of, of all of them and just kind of jumbled them in. And obviously for compliance purposes, we can't talk about who asked what question uh, as far as recruits are concerned, but one of the ones that was really, really stood out that involves camps is how can you tell that a staff is really wanting you to come to camp or if they're just trying to get you to sign up to just show up? Because I think at the end of the day, some places are more of a numbers driven and, and there is a numbers aspect to camps because it is a money driver. At the end of the day, how do you determine which schools are most interested if you're trying to decide between two that are on the same weekend per se? It depends uh, how frequent and what's the volume of the correspondence you've received from that school. If it's just a flyer and there's been no dialogue, no conversation, no relationship, then maybe that's just a flyer to fill a spot and come to camp. But if somebody is saying, hey, you know, we like you, but we want to see, and we're going to be honest with you, we want to see how you run, we want to see how you test, I want to work with you you know, uh, close up so that I can make a decision. I've seen that happen in the past. And I would say that that is showing you that there's interest on both sides. They're just not ready to get married yet. You know, if that makes sense. Some schools will be interested in you, but there are questions and concerns that they can't get the answers to while watching your film, watching your game tape. But if you can come to camp, and work with the linebacker coach, work with the running back coach, run a 40, do a short shuttle, let me see your broad jump, let me get eyes on you, then a school might be more compelled to make a decision. So, you know, what? we're going to offer this kid a scholarship. What's the best way to initiate the process with schools that you aren't in contact with? And I just want to jump in and say, I think Twitter's the best. I think that's where everybody's at. I think that's where all the recruiters are. I think that's where all the players are. Like, I think it's the easiest way to send out one, make sure you have all of the academic stuff ready to send with your highlight tape. Cause that's going to be the first question I ask, like, let me see the transcript. But 
Brian, what's the best way for you? Is it email? Is it Twitter? What is it? Yeah, it's, it's definitely Twitter. And then the, the next question that just kind of follows up on that is like, what, what does it really mean when you're on a prospect list? And I, before I, I let you kind of go into what that means, there's multiple lists for colleges. And I think recruits need to understand that you're going to be dropped in a bucket per se. And like what Brian was saying about, you know, Hey, you got a five-star kid who's like the top of the board guy. You're going to have a plan for him every single day or multiple times in a given week. That's the way it should be with committable offers, right? For guys that you need to see more of, you need to evaluate them during spring. There's going to be consistent contact, but not daily. And for guys that they want to get to camp, you're going to get some type of thing in the mail. Um, that's at least my experience with it. But Brian, what, what does that look like as far as prospect list? Just kind of define that for the listener. There's a lot of lists that you go on. Um, some schools, it's as simple as green, yellow, red. You know, green is guys that wear full speed ahead on. Yellow is guys that wear, might have a few questions and unanswered questions that we need to get answered before we're ready to make a decision. And red will be guys that we reject or guys that would have to come to camp and press us. Guys in the yellow category would also probably be guys that we would also want to see in camp. But when I say that you're on the list, I would say that a school is actively monitoring you, knows who you are. So you don't necessarily have to send in your film. You don't have to make an attempt to get on the board. A lot of people say the board, but it's not really a board. It's just kind of like a database. Every school has a different database. So I would say if you're on a prospect list, you're a guy that, you know, probably is on our mailing list, probably guys that's going to receive game invites. Uh, and depending on what school you are, it could be a list that's, you know, 200 prospects, 400 prospects, you know, maybe 50 prospects if you're um, a school that doesn't offer that many kids. And if you want to pick it back on that, Alex. Yeah, I think that's real too. We're not in the business of trying to recruit 500 different kids. I mean, at one point, Houston, I think we had, Brian, like, you know, we probably had like 400 to 500 guys on the, the recruiting list because, you know, at certain places, you've got to be monitoring and tracking all these people. And it's not necessarily um, to say that one kid's better than the other, but you just know these are all recruitable athletes that you need to see how their process is going. And if any new information comes in that could change your evaluation of them from workout tapes, from spring evaluation, from combine times, from track times, all of that, those pieces of information wind up being really critical and moving the needle. So I would say to recruits that are like, quote unquote, on a prospect list, but not offered by a school, don't throw yourself at recruiters and like constantly try to live in their DMs and send the same film. They've already seen it and they're trying to see what else you have as far as the development of you as a, as a student athlete and as, a, as an athlete in general. Whenever you run a track meet, like make sure you get those verified times to the coach. Whenever you have a camp, send those times to the coaches that you're interested in. Whenever you get a new test score, send that in and updated transcripts, send that in because all of those things are pieces of information and pieces to the puzzle that help recruiters get it over the line. 
Um, yeah, so. and if you, if you want to be recruited and you're on Twitter, obviously anybody that wants to be recruited in college football is on Twitter right now because that's the trend. But if you want to be recruited, you need to have your transcript on hand. You need to have that screen capped on your phone. You need to have every document that coaches would want from you. You need to have that accessible and readily able to be able to send instantly. For us at Rice, like you've got to have your transcript showing class rank. If you know there's no class rank, let us know. And it's a test score. Like test scores are really huge for us. And I would also say that during this time, during COVID, tape your workouts, like training in your backyard and you're doing pedal footwork, you're doing change of direction stuff, you're a quarterback and you're throwing to spots. Make sure you get somebody to record that, text that out to a coach, put it on Twitter. As much information as you can put out about yourself, I think is only going to make you a more viable candidate, one, but it helps us find out more information because let's face it, guys, like we're probably not going to have a spring evaluation period and we've got to make the best of this opportunity. So before we close every week, I'm going to ask these three questions. First one, tell me one thing you wish every recruit knew about the recruiting process. One thing, Brian. One thing that I could tell recruits about the recruiting process. All right. My one thing is recruiting is going to come down to this simple statement. Somebody is going to sell you on something and somebody is going to put you in position to empower yourself. What would you tell parents? Um, I would tell parents don't let their kids be naive to this process. The 17-year-old mind, the 16-year-old mind, the 18-year-old mind, as Coach Herman will say, isn't capable of making this decision alone. This is not just a kid decision. It's a generational decision. It's a family decision. It's a decision that people should, that PSA should seek counsel upon not go through this process as a validation parade. That's what I would tell parents. And finally, one thing for their coaches. Coaches educate the kids on the process, educate the kids on how they should carry themselves, educate them on being more conscious to their social media profiles, whether they have a TikTok, whether they have a Twitter, whether they have an Instagram, educate them on social media etiquette what they should put on what they shouldn't put on what they should be liking on twitter what they shouldn't be liking on twitter because a lot of kids uh, or some kids get disqualified by what's on their social media page that can disqualify you from uh, the recruiting process there's no doubt first thing i'm gonna do is pull up their profile and go straight to their likes like you can tell us so much about somebody that way. I think that's critical. Brian, it's awesome always catching up with you. I don't think our listeners know this, but like we'll probably talk how how often? Like twice, twice a month or so, three times a month. And by the end of the conversation, I'm telling you somebody to pull up on huddle and you're telling me somebody to pull up on huddle. It's always yeah. a pleasure. Thank you for coming on the show, man. Where can our listeners find you on Twitter? What's your handle? Yeah, you can find me on Twitter at B Carrington UT. That's B C A R R I N G T O N U T. The unofficial owner of the shush emoji. So, again, listeners, thank you for tuning in. Obviously, up close and personnel will be posted on Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, my website. 
my Twitter handle, Alex M underscore Brown. I'll have the show notes and everything locked in there, ready to roll. Thank you for tuning in again and uh, appreciate your time. God bless.